ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness, and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray, and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone. and that he has no partners and i bear witness that muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is his slave servant and his messenger uh we would like to begin in this lecture lecture number 6 uh with a quick review of the hadith which we took last week that is hadith number 57 and hadith number 58 in hadith number 57 uh under the title or it was a continuation of the chapter or the sub chapter concerning the superiority of the prayer performed in congregation and its obligation that hadith is the hadith of abu huraira radiyallahu anhu he said that the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said inna athqala athqala salatin ala almunafiqin salat alisha wa salat alfajr that the most difficult or burdensome prayer on the hypocrites is the salat al-isha the night late night prayer and salat al-fajr the dawn prayer then the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said walaw ya'lamuna ma fihima if they knew the blessing or the virtues or the reward that they would get from these two prayers al-isha and fajr la'atawhuma walaw habwan they would come to them even crawling crawling on their hands and knees they would come in any way in order to achieve that reward and that blessing then the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam uh made a statement which expresses the severity uh of this of the abandonment or being absent or avoiding uh the congregational prayer in which he said walaqad hamamtu an amura bis salat fatuqam thumma amara rajulan fayusalli bin nas thumma antalq ma'i bi rijalin ma'hum huzam min hatab الى قوم لا يشهدون الصلاه فاحرك عليهم بيوتهم بالنار the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that i intended or considered uh commanding someone to lead the prayer and then that the prayer be established and order someone to lead the people in prayer and then i would go with some others carrying some bundles of firewood to burn down the houses of those who do not attend uh the congregational prayer Here the Sheikh mentions uh, a number of points uh, but before that I guess we should mention quickly the ikhtilaf naam uh, here he said that there is some point of ikhtilaf or difference of opinion amongst the scholars concerning the salat in jamaa and he mentioned four different opinions the first opinion is that the salat in jamaa in congregation uh, that it is sunnah muakkada sunnah muakkada that it is a sunnah that the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam performed continuously and he didn't ever abandon it he used to do it continuously and consistently and this is the opinion of the majority 
the Hanafiya, Malikiya, and Shafi'iyya. The second opinion is the opinion of another group from amongst the majority. Uh, they held a similar opinion, but they said that it's not Sunnah Mu'akkada, but it's Fard Kifaya. Yani, that it is obligatory on the whole of the people, on the whole of the group, the whole community. If some of them perform it, the others are free of blame. As long as some perform it, the others are free of blame. But if no one performs it, then the whole of the community, they are all responsible and blameworthy. The third opinion is the opinion of Imam Ahmed uh, and the people Ahl Hadith, the people of Hadith. And their opinion is that it is Fard Ain, not Fard Kifaya, Fard Ain. That is, it is obligatory on every single adult, sane individual, male, to perform the prayer in congregation. Uh, and the last opinion is the opinion of the Zahiriyah, the literalists, and they said that the prayer in congregation is a shart, shart of the correctness of Salat. Yeah, and it is a shart of Sihatul Salat. The prayer is not considered to be correct or to be accepted, except that this shart or this precondition is fulfilled, that is that the prayer is performed in congregation. Whoever didn't perform it in congregation, then their opinion is that their prayer is invalid, it is unaccepted. Then we mention the evidences uh, of the first opinion, the majority, the Hanafiya, Maliki and Shafi'iyya, they said that it was Sunnah, Mu'akkada, and they use as their opinion the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Salat al-Jama'ah aftaru min salat al-Fadh bi sab'in wa ishreen darja That the prayer performed in congregation is preferable or better than the prayer performed alone by 27 degrees And that hadith we took previously uh, They said that, yani their argument is that both of these prayers, the prayer in congregation and the prayer alone, both of them are rewarded, but one is more rewardable. Therefore, it must be, if it's rewardable, even though it's less rewardable, that's, their, their argument is that it must be yani, accepted. Uh, then the second opinion, who said that it's not Sunnah uh, Mu'akkada, but they took a little stronger position. They said that it's Fard Kifaya, yani, that it's obligatory on at least some of the people in the community. Uh, they said that um, fighting against those who abandon the prayer is a proof that it's obligatory. Yani the fact that it was permissible for the Muslim leader to fight against those who abandoned the prayer, they said this is a proof that it's obligatory, but obligatory on some of the Muslims, as long as some of them perform it in congregation, the others are free of blame. And the third opinion, the opinion of Imam Ahmed, uh, who said that it is fard ayn, obligatory on every individual, they mentioned a number of hadith. One of them is the hadith which we've just taken, the hadith of Abu Huraira, that uh, the Prophet ﷺ threatened to punish those who didn't attend with a severe punishment who proves that this is a major sin uh, which proves that it's obligatory. Also the hadith of the blind man who asked the Prophet ﷺ permission to pray at home and he told him, do you hear the adhan? He said, yes. He said, then you must respond to it. That's a proof then that he told him it's obligatory for you to come to the masjid and perform the prayer in congregation even though he was a blind man and didn't have a guide or anyone to bring him to the masjid. And also they mention as a proof the fact that the Salat al-Khawf, uh, the fear prayer on the battlefield, is performed in congregation. So if it's obligatory even on the battlefield to perform the prayer in congregation, then what about those who are in peaceful times? In any case, uh, that was the third opinion. The fourth opinion is the opinion of the Zahiriyyah. 
And they said that performing the prayer in congregation is a condition for the salat. Whoever doesn't perform it in congregation, their prayer is not accepted. And they use as hadith, uh, a hadith which is reported from the Prophet وسلم, in the Sunan of Ibn Majah and the Sunan of Ad-Darqutni on the authority of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma man samiya an-nida falam ya'atihi falat salata lahu illa min urdhab that whoever hears the call for the prayer the nida or the adhan and he doesn't come to perform the prayer in congregation falat salata then he doesn't have any salat falat salata lahu his salat is not accepted illa min urdhab unless he has a legitimate Shari, legal Islamic excuse. Uh, and here the Shaykh says that some of the scholars said this hadith is mawquf, it's not really attributed to the Prophet, وسلم, but it's the saying of Ibn Abbas. And after reading this hadith and checking it, we found that the most correct opinion is that it's not mawquf, but it's marfu'un. It really is attributed to the Prophet, وسلم, and the hadith is sahih. In that case, those who held the third opinion, uh, that it's Fard al-Ain, they argued against them even though they accepted this hadith as being sahih but they said that the meaning of this hadith is that la salata lahu, that he has no salat means that his salat is not invalid but his salat is not complete or perfect yani the reward is decreased for his salat uh, From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions a number of points that are derived from this hadith. He said the first of them is that Salat in Jama'ah for the men who have reached puberty is Fard Ain, يعني, in consideration of the difference of opinion. Some said Fard Ain, some said Fard Kifaya, and the majority of the scholars said that it's Sunnah Mu'akkada. The second uh, point derived from this hadith is that uh, whoever abandons the prayer in congregation without a legitimate excuse, Uzr Shar'i, without a legal proof or excuse from the uh, Islamic law, that person is sinful and deserves to be punished. The third point derived from this hadith is a, is a rule that we mentioned a number of times before, that uh, repulsing that which is harmful has precedence over trying to achieve that which is beneficial. Yani dar al-mafasid muqaddam ala jalb al-masalih and this is understood from the fact that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam gave precedence to trying to stop this evil of the people who abandoned the congregation of prayer even though it was at the cost of lo- losing something beneficial to himself that is abandoning himself leaving the congregation of prayer that was a benefit that he gave up in preference to trying to deal with this problem of those who didn't attend the congregation of prayer. Uh, also from this we understand or it is derived from this hadith that the munafiq, the, the munafiqeen, the hypocrites, that when they used to come to the prayer, they didn't come really for the worship of Allah, but they came to be seen uh, so that people would recognize them as being from amongst the Muslims even though they were not sincere. Uh, and this is understood from the fact that uh, the prayer, the Isha prayer and the Fajr prayer, which is performed usually in the darkness of the night, they would not be seen in that prayer and therefore it was difficult for them to come. They only came to be seen. So if no one saw them, there was no encouragement for them to come to attend the prayer. Also from this hadith, we understand the virtue and the superiority of these two prayers, the Isha and the Fajr prayer. Because the Prophet ﷺ said that if they knew what was in it of reward or blessing or benefit, they would come even calling. That shows the greatness and the importance of these two prayers.
And also he said finally that uh, the difficulty of the hypocrite performing these two prayers, Fajr and Isha, it is understood that, it's, that the difficulty is not in performing the prayer, but the difficulty is performing the prayer in congregation. Yeah, and you're getting out of their beds and coming to the masjid uh, due to laziness or desire to continue to sleep or desire to go to sleep early instead of waiting for the Isha prayer. Uh, the next hadith is under the chapter, the women attending the masjid for the congregation of prayers, and that's hadith number 58, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar, radiallahu anhuma, may Allah be pleased with him and his father, who said that the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, إِذَا إِسْتَعْذَنَتْ إِمْرَأَةُ أَحَدِكُمْ If any one of your wives asks you permission, إِلَى الْمَسَاجِدِ To go to the masjid, فَلَا يَمْنَعْهَا Then don't stop her, don't prohibit her. And in another narration, or similar narration of this hadith, reported by Bukhari and Muslim also, uh, he said, لَا تَمْنَعُوا إِمَاءَ اللَّهِ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ yani Don't prohibit the women, believers, or the women, slaves of Allah, the servants of Allah, from amongst the women, from attending the masjids of Allah. And also in this hadith, the first narration, uh, as it's reported in some of the uh, books of hadith, after Abdullah ibn Umar narrated this hadith, it is reported in some of the reports that his son, one of his sons, and here it's mentioned that it was Bilal, that he said, Wallahi, lanamna And we would definitely, I swear by Allah, we would definitely prevent them or prohibit them from going to the masjids. So Abdullah went to his son and he spoke to him very, very, very harshly in a way that he never he was not heard previously to speak so harshly and he said أُخْبِرُكَ عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَتَقُولُ وَاللَّهِ لَنَمْنَعُهُنَّ يعني that I inform you of what the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم has said and you say يعني contradictory to that that you will Wallahi you swear by Allah that you will prevent them from this hadith the Shaykh mentioned a number of points uh, from amongst them the uh, preference or that it is mustahab it is beloved or preferable if a woman asks for permission from her husband to attend the prayer in the masjid that he should give her permission number two (coughs) that this permission the permissibility of giving her permission to go out to the masjid to perform the prayer in congregation is as long as she doesn't go out displaying herself in an un-Islamic way and as long as he doesn't fear any harm coming to her as mentioned in some other narrations number three from the surface wording of the hadith it appears as though this permission is simply for the salat but in other hadith of the Prophet it is reported that the woman also has permission to attend, for example, the Eid congregations uh, where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam also used to give a khutbah or a speech even to the extent that the women who were in menses though they couldn't perform the prayer they were also ordered by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to come out and attend the Eid congregations uh, Also he said that uh, from this hadith we understand that a person should be severely reprimanded or scolded if they try to contradict or oppose a clear instruction or sunnah of the Prophet And finally he said <coughs> that whoever wants to express any 
some understanding that they have concerning an, an instruction from the Quran or from the Sunnah that if they have an idea that might appear to be in contradiction to the instruction of the Quran and Sunnah then they should make themselves clear and do it with respect with proper respect so that they would not be understood or so that they would not be seen to be opposing the instructions of the Quran and the Sunnah these are the hadith that we took last week and the hadith that we didn't take last week uh, which, which we were given also as a part of the lecture for last week there are two hadith, hadith number 59 and hadith number 60 uh, inshallah we will take them now from the chapter Bab Sunan Ar-Ratiba Sunan Ar-Ratiba these hadith are from the paper we gave out last week first the Shaykh in his introductory remarks concerning the Sunnah prayers or the <coughs> voluntary prayers which are connected to the congregational prayers, the obligatory prayers which are performed in congregation. He says, the sunan al-ratiba, the voluntary prayers that are connected to the congregational prayers, وَتَأْكِيد رَكَعَتَيْ سُنَّةِ الْفَجَرِ وَفَضْلِهَا And also affirmation of the two raka'ah that are performed before the dawn prayer and their superiority or virtues of those two raka before the dawn fajr prayer especially he says that these, uh, these the congregational prayers uh, have attached to them sunnah prayers and these sunnah prayers are confirmed in the example of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that he did it and he encouraged it and he uh, affirmed those who performed them. It is confirmed in the Sunnah by his action as well as by his speech as well as by his approval of others who perform these prayers. And these prayers have many benefits. From amongst those benefits is that they increase one's hasanat, their good deeds, and also it raises their darajat, their levels, uh, and also it removes some of their sayyat, their sins, uh, in addition to the fact that it makes up for uh, the shortcoming that one uh, may find in the obligatory prayers yani whatever you have fell short in in the obligatory prayer these sunnah prayers that are attached to them help to make up for those shortcomings in the obligatory prayers uh, for this reason it is expected that a Muslim should give great attention to protect the performance of these prayers yani that they should make every effort not to fall short in the performance of these sunan ar-ratiba that is when the person is resident not as a traveler as for the one who is traveling it has not been reported from the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that he used to perform the rawatib the sunan ar-ratiba he didn't used to perform them while he was a traveler except the turaka performed before the fajr or dawn prayer he never used to leave it whether he was resident or whether he was a traveler. Uh, the first hadith is hadith number 59, hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma. May Allah be pleased with him and his father. He said, Sallaytu ma'a Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallama raka'ataini qabla zuhur. That I prayed with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to raka'a before zuhur, before the congregational noon prayer. 
وَرَكَعَتَيْنِ بَعْدَهَا and two raka'ah after Zuhur وَرَكَعَتَيْنِ بَعْدَ الْجُمْعَةِ and two raka'ah after the Friday congregational noon prayer Jum'ah, Salatul Jum'ah وَرَكَعَتَيْنِ بَعْدَ الْمَغْرِبِ and two raka'ah after the Maghrib sunset prayer وَرَكَعَتَيْنِ بَعْدَ الْعِشَاءِ and two raka'ah after the late night prayer Notice in this hadith that he doesn't mention two raka'ah with Huh? After Asr prayer, there are no regular prayer that the Prophet ﷺ used to consistently always make. This Sunnah al-Ratibah, these are the prayers that he always used to perform along with the congregational prayer. As for the Asr prayer, it is, there are some prayers that may be performed before the Asr, two or four rakah, but he didn't used to do it all the time, as he used to attend to these prayers. But what about Salatul uh, Fajr? Also in this hadith, he didn't mention the two rakah of Salatul Fajr. In any case, the the author, Al Imam Ibn Abdul Wahid Al Maktasi Abdul Ghani, he mentioned two other narrations. One of them uh, that's reported in Al Bukhari. In that hadith, he said, "فَأَمَّا الْمَغْرِبُ وَالْعِشَاءُ وَالْفَجْرُ وَالْجُمْعَةُ فَفِي بَيْتِهِ." As for the Maghrib sunset prayer and Isha late night prayer and the Fajr dawn prayer and the Jum'ah Friday prayer he used to perform them in his house. The Sunnah prayers that are attached to them he used to perform them in his house. Actually I didn't find this report exactly like this in Bukhari but the one I found mentioned the Maghrib and Isha that he used to perform the Sunnah prayers after Maghrib and after Isha in his house. As for the Fajr and Jum'ah I didn't find that exact narration but in some other narrations it mentions Fajr and in some of them it mentions Jum'ah. In any case, uh, he also, uh, Abdul Ghani, and Imam Abdul Ghani al-Maqtasi also mentions a narration from Bukhari in which he said that Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma reported from his sister Hafsa and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kana yusalli sajdatayni khafifatayni ba'adama yatla'u al-fajru al-fajru wa kanat sa'atan la adkhulu ala Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fiha he said that, I, that it was reported to me from my sister Hafsa radiallahu anha that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to pray sajdatayni khafifatayni two light raka yani brief two raka he used to pray them as soon as the dawn appeared at the break of dawn before he prayed the congregational prayer and that was at a time that I didn't used to go to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yani I, I didn't used to enter upon him in that time because that was the time yani when uh, people are in privacy at the time before the dawn prayer and after the Isha prayer and at noon time. Uh, then um, also there are some other narrations which he didn't mention which I think are important. The hadith also from Ibn Umar that's reported in Al-Bukhari. He said that I memorized Hafiz to min Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ashara raka'atin. Ten raka'ah I memorized or so I took, I preserved them from the actions of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Raka'ataini qabla zuhur wa raka'ataini ba'daha Two raka'a before zuhur and two raka'a ba'daha wa raka'ataini ba'da al-maghrib fi baytihi and two raka'a after maghrib he used to perform them in his house wa raka'ataini ba'da al-isha fi baytihi and two raka'a after isha he used to perform them in his house and in this narration he said wa raka'ataini qabla salatu subh and two raka'a before the dawn prayer wa kanat sa'atan la yudkhalu ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fiha and that was at an hour or a time when nobody used to go into his his room or enter upon him and at the time when he performed the two raka before the fajr 
or dawn congregational prayer. And another narration from Ibn Umar عنهما, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam كان يصلي قبل ذور ركعتين وبعدها ركعتين يعني he used to pray before ذور two rakah and after ذور two rakah وبعد المغرب ركعتين في بيته وبعد العشاء ركعتين and he used to pray two rakah after maghrib prayer in his house and two rakah after isha وكان لا يصلي بعد الجمعة and he didn't used to pray after the Friday congregational Jummah prayer حتى ينصرف فيصلي ركعتين he didn't used to pray after the Jummah prayer until he left until he left from the masjid until he went back to his house فيصلي ركعتين and in his home he used to pray the two rakah after Jummah uh, actually there are some other narrations which I think we should mention also very important <laughs> which of course as we said this is, book is a mukhtasa it is a summarized uh, version of the hadith of ahkam but there are some very important hadith which I think we should mention one of them is the hadith that's reported by Imam Muslim on the authority of Umm Habiba that hadith you can find in Sahih Muslim volume 1 page 352 hadith number 1579 the hadith of Umm Habiba radiallahu anha one of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu she said sallallahu wasallam, say, I heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu wasallam, say man salla ithnati ashara Raka'atan, whoever prayed Ithnati Asharata Raka'atan, twelve raka'ah Fi yawmin wa laylatin, during the day and the night And in a whole day, twenty-four hours Buniya lahu bihinna baytun fil jannah Then a house will be built for that person in the paradise Whoever prayed twelve raka'ah In the previous narrations we only mentioned ten But in this hadith of Umm Habiba She was a wife of the Prophet wasallam, And she was very close to him obviously She knew about his private affairs as well as public she said that the Prophet said whoever prays 12 rakah in the day and the night and in some of the narrations said tatawwa'an yani of the voluntary prayers not the congregational prayers whoever prays them then a house will be built for him or her that person in paradise and in another report of that narration which is authentic as it was reported this hadith is in Sahih Muslim but in another narration of the same hadith of Umm Habiba as reported in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi and it is also Sahih it is reported that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said and it's also reported in the Sunnah of Nasa'i Arba'a raka'at qabla dhuhr Four raka'at before dhuhr In all the previous narrations Ibn Umar only mentioned two raka'at before dhuhr but here in this narration of Umm Habiba she said four raka'at before dhuhr Waraka'atayni ba'daha and two raka'at after Waraka'atayni ba'da al-Maghrib and two raka'at after the sunset prayer Waraka'atayni ba'da al-Isha and two raka'at بعد the late after the late late night Isha prayer وركعتيني قبل الصلاة الفجر and two rakah before the dawn prayer and this hadith the report from At-Tirmidhi and Nasa'i explains the twelve rakah that Umm Habiba narrated from the Prophet ﷺ that whoever performed them in the day and the night then a house will be built for them in paradise what are those twelve rakah here in this narration it's clarified that there are four rakah before dhuhr and two rakah after dhuhr and two rakah after Maghrib, and two rakah after Isha, and two rakah before Fajr. So whoever is able to perform those prayers regularly, then there is indeed a great reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Shaykh uh, says here, the general meaning of these hadith, uh, that there is clarification of which prayers are the sunin, ratiba, the sunin 
voluntary or the sunnah prayers that are to be performed along with the congregational, five congregational prayers. And those are with the Dhuhr prayer, four rakah before it and two rakah after it and two rakah uh, after Juma prayer that the Prophet Sallallahu used to pray in his house and in another narration in Muslim he said he informed us by word but not by his action that you may pray four rakah after Juma prayer and that four rakah is in the masjid. Some of the scholars said that the prayers after Juma are four according to authentic hadith in Muslim but that is should be performed in the masjid and some said two rakah after Juma but that is according to his practice which he used to do in his house and some said you may do either and some said six rakah four in the masjid and two at home all of it is authentic uh, perhaps the best opinion is that whoever prayed in the masjid after the Juma they should pray four and whoever went home first then they should only pray in their home two as was the practice of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam also, uh, the Turaka after Maghrib and the Turaka after Isha, uh, <coughs> and that these after Maghrib and after Isha, he used to pray them in his home, as well as the Turaka after Juma, he used to pray in his home, and the Turaka before Fajr, he used to pray in his home. And also, there are hadiths from the Prophet that the best prayers after the congregational prayers are the prayers that one prays in their home. Yani, that other than the congregational prayers, it's better that a person pray sunnah prayers or voluntary prayers in their home. And in other narrations, the Prophet said, don't make your homes like graves. That is, don't make them a place where you don't perform prayer. Because the grave is the place, graveyard is the place where you're not allowed to perform salat. Uh, in any case, then he says uh, that Ibn Umar, radiallahu anhuma, he used to be close to the house, household of the Prophet due to his position with the wife of the Prophet, his sister Hafsa radiallahu anha. Uh, so for that reason, he used to know about the prayers of the Prophet sallallahu in his home. He used to be in his home, he used to go there because he was closely related to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa through his sister, the wife of the Prophet Hafsa radiallahu anha. But uh, that was generally, but there was a time when he didn't used to go to him and that was in the times when a person is not allowed uh, to go as mentioned in the Quran in Surah An-Nur, chapter 24, verse 58, where Allah addressed the believers, Yani that all you who believe, you should definitely ask permission. That is, those of your, those who your right hand possess, your slaves or servants, as well as those who haven't reached the age of puberty. There are three times that they should not enter. Though normally they are allowed to go into the room of their parents or the older people or those who they serve. Normally, but there are three times when it's not permissible to enter upon them, except after seeking permission. And those three times is before the Salat al-Fajr, before dawn and also at the time of noon when a person normally takes off their clothes to relax or to sleep for a little while the qaylula uh, noontime sleep which was a common practice amongst the companions of the Prophet sallallahu and the people of their time and also after Salat al-Isha when people are normally going to bed or going to sleep these times persons shouldn't go uh, the children shouldn't go without asking permission as for other than children obviously at no time should they enter upon anyone without permission 
but um, even though Abdullah ibn Umar wasn't able to enter the Prophet at these particular times, due to his great desire and eagerness to seek knowledge, he asked his sister Hafsa radiallahu anha about those times and she informed him that before the congregational prayer of dawn, the Prophet wasallam at the break of dawn used to pray rakataini or sajdataini khafifataini two light raka. And those are the two raka sunnah before the fajr prayer. From this hadith, the shaykh mentions six points. The first of them that are derived from this hadith are that it is mustahab to perform these sunan ratiba that have been mentioned and to perform them consistently and regularly these 12 raka or 10 raka that have been mentioned in the previous hadith uh, also that there is no sunnah ratiba for salat al-asr yani there is no sunnah that the prophet used to perform always with Yani before the Salat al-Asr. Obviously after Salat al-Asr is one of the prohibited times that you should not perform yani, any prayer. But before it there was no regular prayer that he used to perform. Though as we mentioned there are some narrations to perform before Asr, uh, four rakah or two rakah. Uh, also that the Sunnah prayer that is performed with Maghrib and Isha and Fajr and Jummah it is better to perform those in one's home. And also, number four, to make the turaka before the fajr, dawn prayer, light, to make them brief. He didn't used to pray long in those two raka before the dawn prayer, the sunnah prayers. Uh, and number five, that it has been reported in some of the authentic hadith, that for the dhuhr prayer, there are six raka, four raka before dhuhr, and two raka after Dhuhr, as we mentioned, and this is reported in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi in the Hadith of Umm Habiba radiallahu anha. And the last thing he said that uh, some of these Sunan Ratiba are performed before the obligatory prayers in order to prepare the person spiritually for the congregational prayer. Yeah, and to get the person in the proper mood and state of mind to perform the obligatory congregational prayer. And some of them are performed after the congregational prayer in order to fix or to make up for any shortcoming or defect that one might have fell into in the performance of the obligatory prayer. Uh, the next hadith, hadith number 60, 60, is the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. She said, لم يكن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم على شيء من النوافل أشد منه تعاهدا على ركعتي الفجر. That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم never used to give the extreme care and be consistent in performing any voluntary actions as he used to yani, stick to and be consistent in performing the two raka raka tail fajr meaning the two raka sunnah prayers before the congregational prayer of fajr or before dawn yani, he was most consistent and strict in adhering to the performance of these two prayers more than any other voluntary action or any other voluntary prayer and in another narration that's reported by Alima Muslim she said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Raka'atil fajr khayrun min dunya wa ma fiha That the two raka sunnah that are performed before the congregation of dawn prayer 
are better than this world and whatever is in it. It's better than this world and whatever is in it. Here the Shaykh says the general meaning of this hadith is clarification that the two rakah sunnah of Fajr have a great, great, great significance and importance. For this reason, Aisha radiallahu anha uh, mentioned that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was very strict and consistent in performing this prayer to show the significance and the greatness of uh, the performance of these two rak'ah. And she narrated from him, or she reported that he was not more consistent in the performance of any other prayer as he was in sticking to the performance of these two rak'ah before the dawn congregational prayer. And that he said by words, not only by his action was he very, very strict and, and consistent in performing them, but he also expressed the importance of these two rak'ah in words when he said that these two prayers are better than the world and whatever is in it. From this hadith, the Shaykh mentions four points. The first of them, uh, that it is mustahab, without any doubt, to perform these two rakah of fajr. And it is not any acceptable, and it is not permissible, it is not expected that a Muslim should take these things lightly, take these two prayer lightly, or these two rakah lightly, consider them to be insignificant, and avoid them, or abandon them, or neglect them. Number two, the great virtue and superiority of these two rakah, since the Prophet ﷺ considered them to be better than, and more important than the whole world and whatever is in it. And number three, the fact that the Prophet ﷺ was most consistent in sticking to the performance of these two rakah more than anything else. And number four, that the person who neglects these two rakah, in spite of the fact that they are so easy to perform, rakatayni, khafifatayni, yani they were not even as long as the other prayers that he used to make. They were very, very light. So that means they were easier to perform, and they were better than the world, and whatever is in it, that means they were more rewardable. They were easier to perform, and the reward for them was even greater. This means that the person who neglects them, after knowing such, after knowing this, the person who neglects them, this would be an indication of the weakness of their yani, uh, deen, and that that person has really been uh, prevented, or yani, they have been prohibited from achieving a great, great uh, reward and bounty. This is uh, what he said concerning this hadith, and inshallah, uh, we will go on today to the next chapter that uh, is uh, in the paper that we gave out to everyone today the chapter of Al-Adhan Wal-Iqama Bab Al-Adhan Wal-Iqama here uh, <coughs> the Shaykh Abdullah uh, Ibn Abdurrahman Ibn Salih he says that Al-Adhan linguistically it means I'lam or announcement and this is understood in the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَآذَانٌ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ that this is an announcement from Allah and His Messenger يعني here Adhan it means I'lam announcement in the legal terminology 
It means it is an announcement of the beginning of the time for the obligatory prayers. And it is, this announcement is made by specific, special words or expressions. Even though these words are few, they contain yani, a great meaning which expresses so many issues of Islamic aqeedah. Such as the first words, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, the takbir. It is an expression of the existence of Allah and the affirmation of the sifat or the characteristic of Allah, al-jalal wal-udhma. Yani the glorification or glory and greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is expressed in these words, the takbir, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. As for the shahadatan, ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, uh, they affirm, for example, the first shahada, it affirms the, the tawheed, the pure tawheed or the uniqueness of Allah alone. And ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah, it affirms, expresses and confirms the messengership or the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the negation of shirk. As for the dua, hayal al-salat, hayal al-falah, or hayal al-falah, this dua, it indicates or points to the reality that is part of the Islamic aqeedah that people, that everyone will return after death to give account, to be punished or rewarded. Hayal al-falah, come to success, it is an indication or reference to the success that one will achieve by performing the prayers, they will achieve the success in the next life. Uh, also, <coughs> he said that some of the scholars said that there are many great wisdoms from the Adhan, and from amongst them is that the Adhan is an expression of the Deen of Islam. Yani the calling of the Adhan, of the adhan is an expression, yani a open, open or outward expression of Islam in the society. And it is also an expression of kalimat al-Tawheed, the word of Tawheed or La ilaha illallah, as well as an affirmation of the messengership or the prophethood of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, as well as it is an announcement of the beginning of the time for the congregational prayers, as well it is an invitation and a call to jama'ah or congregation or the Muslims coming together. In the performance of this prayer, there is a great reward uh, or there are many rewards and of the greatness or one of the indications of the greatness of the congregational prayer uh, or the announcement or the call to the congregational prayer, the adhan uh, is that which has been reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Abu Huraira that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said لَوْ يَعْلَمُوا النَّاسِ مَا فِي النِّدَاءِ وَالصَّفَ الْأَوَّلِ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَجِدُوا إِلَّا أَنْ يَسْتَهِنُوا عَلَيْهِ لَسْتَهَمُوا that is, that if the people knew uh, the great reward or virtue that is in the call to prayer, the adhan, as well as in the saf al-awwal standing in the first line, uh, and then they wouldn't have any way يعني, to determine who should call the adhan or who would get in the first line except by drawing lots. If people knew how the great reward was for the calling of the adhan and for standing in the first line, everyone would want to have the, uh, the honor of doing so and they would have to draw lots to do so. And this is an indication of the virtue, virtuous nature and the reward of the calling of Adhan as well as the performance of the prayer in the first line. Uh, 
Also he mentions here that the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he came to any people, if he was going to attack them, he would wait until the time of dawn to see if he heard the call for prayer. If the adhan was announced, then he would hesitate. This was an indication that they were Muslim people, and if the adhan was not called, then he would attack them. This was an indication that they were not from the Muslims. This is the introduction of the Shaykh. After that, um, he goes on to Hadith number 61. Also he mentions here, Naam, before the Hadith he said that the Adhan was legislated in Medina. While the Prophet ﷺ was in Medina after the Hijrah, and he had consulted with, with his companions after they had sought to agree on some way to announce the time of the prayer. When the Muslim, the numbers of Muslims had increased and there was no way for them to know exactly what time the prayer would be performed, then they consulted and said, how can we make some announcement to know uh, that the prayer time has come? And, and many of the narrations they mentioned, that some of them suggested that they should blow a horn or a trumpet and some said they should uh, ring a bell and some said they should make a fire and they had different suggestions and then it was yani, reported or it was uh, yani, inspired in a dream to one of the companions of the Prophet wasallam that the call should prayer should be made by yani, the voice of a human being and that was reported in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Zayd al-Ansari uh, okay here hadith number 61 the hadith of Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu he said umira بلال أن يشفع الأذان ويؤثر الإقامة or exactly the wording as I found it in Al-Bukhari and Muslim أن يؤثر الإقامة and in some narrations إلا الإقامة يعني أن يؤثر الإقامة إلا الإقامة and here the second إقامة means the words قد قامت الصلاة uh, Anas ibn Malik said radiallahu anhu that, the, that Bilal was commanded to call the adhan with pairs of words in pairs, doubles and he was also commanded to make the iqamah with single words or single expressions and he should repeat the words of the adhan in, in, twice, each set of words and in the iqamah once with some exceptions as reported in other narrations of the hadith command that is the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam here in this hadith he says that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam commanded Bilal to make the adhan with double or pairs of expressions uh, and this was to give greater emphasis to the adhan because the adhan is to call those who are absent to come to the prayer whereas the iqamah is to announce to the people who are present already in the masjid to stand up for the performance of the prayer. Uh, and these uh, pairs or doubles, it, that is, it is with the exception of in the beginning of the takbir, instead of being said twice, it is said four times, uh, as has been affirmed in authentic narrations. Uh, and also, um, in the end of the adhan, uh, also, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, 
يعني it is uh, it is لا إله إلا الله is said one time instead of in pairs or in doubles in the end of the adhan it is said once other than that every other expression should be in doubles uh, also he says here that in the iqama he should say other qamat salat and this uh, is said twice as has been affirmed in authentic narrations there is some difference of opinion here concerning these matters inshallah uh, hopefully we can complete them the first point of difference of opinion concerning the adhan is the ruling concerning the adhan and iqama yani is it obligatory or not the first opinion is the opinion of Imam Ahmed Rahimahullah and some of the scholars from the Maliki and Shafi'i Madhabs yani Imam Ahmed and some of the scholars from the Maliki Madhab and the Shafi'i Madhab as well as from amongst the Tabi'een Atah held the opinion that the Adhan and the Iqama are both wajib ala al-kifaya yani they are far kifaya but as long as uh, someone calls the adhan and the ikama other people are relieved from the responsibility but if nobody calls it then the community as a whole is to blame and they mentioned as a proof this uh, present hadith where it's mentioned that Bilal was ordered to call the adhan and the ikama in a certain way this is a proof that the adhan and ikama and if he was ordered to do it then a command indicates that something is obligatory also another proof of this that it is obligatory to call the adhan and iqama is the hadith reported in al-Bukhari and Muslim on the authority of Malik ibn Huwayrif radiallahu anhu uh, he said that he and some of his companions who came from another land they went to visit the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and they stayed with him sometime I think about 20 days or so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa realized that they were homesick and they wanted to get back to their families so out of his mercy and kindness he told them to go back to their people and to teach their people the deen and teach them the salat and in that hadith he mentioned these words فَإِذَا حَضَرَ الصَّلَاةِ فَلْيُؤَذِّنْ لَكُمْ أَحَدُكُمْ وَلْيَأُمُّكُمْ أَكْبَرُكُمْ this hadith is reported in Al-Bukhari uh, in the new printing of Al-Bukhari in volume 1 page 364 hadith number 628 but in the old printing Unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to uh, find it. There's some difference in the numbers, slight. In any case, in that hadith, he said that when the time for the prayer comes, فَلْيُؤَذِّنْ لَكُمْ أَحَدُكُمْ Then one of you must call the adhan. Here, fal the lamb here, is lamb al-amr. It means that it is a command. فَلْيُؤَذِّنْ لَكُمْ أَحَدُكُمْ One of you must call the adhan. وَلْيَأُمُّكُمْ أَكْبَرُكُمْ And the oldest of you should lead the group in prayer. Uh, also that this is one of the open expressions of Islam that shouldn't be abandoned and some of the scholars said that the adhan and iqama is obligatory only on men not obligatory for women if women are alone then it is not obligatory for them to call the prayer and this is based on a hadith reported in the sunnah of, of, of al-bayhaqi on the authority of ibn umar anhuma, and he said that the isnad is sahih laysa alin nisa adhanun wala iqamatun that there is no obligation on the women to make adhan 
nor iqama. And unfortunately, I didn't uh, have time to check this hadith, but the Shaykh says, bi isnadin sahih. He said that the isnad or chain of marriage is sahih, and I hope that it is so. Uh, <coughs> in any case, he also says that the adhan and iqama is not obligatory on the women, because the women are expected to lower their voice and to cover themselves. And they are also not of amongst the people who are obligated to attend the congregational prayer. And the women are not obligated. The Prophet ﷺ said, if they ask you permission, then don't stop them. But they are not obligated to attend the congregational prayer. In that case, if women are alone, it is not obligatory for them to call Adhan or Iqamah. Uh, the second opinion, the first opinion is that it's obligatory on the community as a whole. The second opinion is the opinion of the Hanafiya and Shafi'iya. The Hanafi Madhab and Shafi'i Madhab that the Adhan and Iqama are Sunnah. That they are Sunnah, they are not wajib, they are not obligatory. And they use as proof uh, uh, some hadith that some of the scholars said was authentic that the Prophet وسلم, in Muzdalifa during the performance of Hajj in Muzdalifa after returning from Arafat that he did not have the Adhan or the Iqama called or he said he did not make Adhan وَإِنَّمَا أَقَامَ فَقَدْ and he only made Iqama and although some of the scholars said that, these narr- that there are some narrations authentic like this but there are more authentic narrations reported by Al-Bukhari and Muslim that the Prophet ﷺ did make Adhan and Iqama in Muzdalifa for Maghrib and Isha and some of them it said that he made one Adhan and two Iqamah yani Adhan and Iqamah for Maghrib and then Iqamah for Isha joining them, combining them at one time on the arrival in Muzdalifa <coughs> uh, so those are the two opinions one said that it's obligatory and the other says that it is Sunnah not obligatory also there is difference of opinion concerning the expression or the words of the Adhan and Iqama. The first opinion, and there are three opinions, the first opinion is the opinion of Imam Ahmed. He said that it is permissible to make the Adhan by different wordings as they have been recorded in authentic hadith. Yani there is more than one report from the Prophet wasallam as to the words of the Adhan and Iqama. And, and since both of, both of them are authentic, then he says that either of them are permissible yani even though his preference was the wording that is well known to most of us it is the wording that from the hadith of Abdullah ibn Zayd al-Ansari the adhan that we are usually calling saying uh, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar four times Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah two times Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah two times Hayal al-Salaq, Hayal al-Salaq and so on uh, Imam Ahmed said that both of these are permissible uh, and that also uh, that this way is permissible as to, to say saying it Allah Akbar Allah Akbar only two times not two times and Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah two times Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah two times Hayal al-Salat two times and so on instead of four times the Allah Akbar he said that both of these are permissible and also he said concerning the iqama uh, that the that yani, it is also as narrated in the hadith of Abdul Ibn Zayd al Ansari, uh, it is also yani, permissible this way, or as in the hadith of Mahdura, which is an authentic hadith, and he said that the Prophet told him to pronounce the 
prayer saying Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar two times and so on. Two times the wording of each expression twice except La ilaha illallah in the end of the Amen. The first way saying it four times is the opinion also of the Hanafi Madhab and the Shafi'i Madhab and the Jumhur or the majority of the scholars. And as, as, as I said, this is based on the hadith of Abdul ibn Zayd al-Ansari radiallahu anhu uh, in his hadith, and he, as it was reported um, in uh, the Muslim of Imam Ahmed, the Sunan of Abu Dawood, and the Sunan of Ibn Majah, and the Sahih of Ibn Khuzaym, and the Sahih of Ibn Hibban, and other uh, reporters of hadith. Also, this is the, not only the opinion of the majority of scholars, but it is also the practice of the people of Mecca and when the Muslims used to come to Mecca in the time of Hajj or in Ramadan they used to call the Adhan in this way as reported by Abdul ibn Zayd al-Ansari and no one criticized them or differed with them about this manner of calling the Adhan the third opinion uh, Imam Ahmed is the first opinion he said it may be called either way the second opinion is the opinion of the majority that it should be said four times Allahu Akbar and the other statements two times the third opinion is the opinion of Imam Malik and one of the students of Imam Abu Hanifa Abu Yusuf Rahimahumullah and some other scholars and they said that the takbir in the beginning of the Adhan should be said only twice <coughs> uh, and this is based on some narrations which are authentic and from amongst them is the narration of Abu Mahdura uh, and, 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 and uh, also in the hadith of Anas in which is reported that Umira uh, Bilalun and al Adhan yani that Bilal was ordered to make the words of the Adhan in doubles or in, or, or in pairs yani they understood from this the saying of Allahu Akbar only two times and not four times in any case yani there is no real contradiction or conflict and it is possible and permissible that the Prophet may have given instructions to perform for the performance of the Adhan in more than one way and both of them are acceptable although the more common manner of calling the Adhan and the more authentically reported is that Allahu Akbar should be said four times uh, in the beginning of the Adhan there is also a difference of opinion concerning what is called Tarji' Al-Adhan uh, and the meaning of tarji' is that the mu'azzin should say Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, Ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah silently or in a low tone, in a low tone, not loudly first and then after that he will repeat those statements that's called in the adhan after saying them in a low tone, saying them in a loud voice as the adhan is normally called. This is called tarji' uh, and concerning this, the first opinion is the opinion of the Malikiyah and the Shafi'iyah they said that it is mustahab to do so to say the words of shahada in a low tone and then repeat them out loud as you normally do in the adhan uh, after that and this is based on يعني, the hadith of Abi Mahdura that's reported in Sahih Muslim in volume 1 page 208 uh, hadith number 740 in that hadith he reported that the Prophet وسلم, instructed him to call the Adhan in this manner, saying the words of Shahada first in a low tone and then in a loud voice. The second opinion is the opinion of the Hanafiya, the Hanafi Madhab, and they said that it is not mustahab to do so, and their opinion is based on the wording of the hadith of Abdullah ibn Zayd al-Ansari, 
radiallahu anhu in which there is no mention of such a practice the third opinion is the opinion of Imam Ahmed he said that both are permissible both of these manners are permissible though his preference is to say it out loud uh, as Bilal used to call the Adhan and as is the opinion of the majority of scholars from this hadith the Shaykh mentions five points and we will stop here with these five points and continue the other hadith um, one, two, three remaining hadith in our next lecture here he mentions five points from this hadith the first of them the obligation of making adhan and iqama that the adhan and iqama must be called for the five congregational prayers and this is based on the expression as it came in the hadith that Bilal was ordered to call the adhan in this manner and the iqama in this manner uh, and we said in the science of usul fiqh that a command is understood to indicate obligation a command is, indicate, is understood to indicate wujub or obligation uh, also number two that it is mustahab to make the wording or the expressions in the adhan in doubles or in pairs and in the iqama single one time each except whether it is mentioned in some hadith yani, what is uh, any different, differing from there and in other words the adhan should be said in pairs the expressions of adhan and the iqama should be said the expression singly uh, also that the, that, a pers- that the Muslims should give great attention to the uh, adhan or more attention to the adhan over the iqama the adhan should be called out loud in a louder voice whereas the iqama doesn't have to be called in such a loud voice because the adhan is meant to announce to the people who may be outside of the masjid in their homes, in their businesses or in other places whereas the iqama is only a call to the people who are in the masjid to stand up to perform the congregation prayer uh, here he said number four that the announcement or the saying of the expressions of the adhan in pairs is with the exception of the takbir in the beginning of the adhan which is not said twice but is said four times and also the uh, la ilaha illallah kalimat al-tawheed in the end of the adhan which is said one time and this, these uh, exceptions to the rule are mentioned in other hadith where the takbir is mentioned four times clearly and the end of the adhan la ilaha illallah is mentioned one time clearly in the hadith of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu and finally the fifth point uh, in the iqama every, the expressions should be said once except the takbir which is said twice in the beginning of the iqama Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar where the other expressions are said once and also qamat is salat is said twice in the iqama uh, as has been Danny mentioned specifically in particular hadith the hadith of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu Okay, this is about yani, the end of what we can cover today. Inshallah, we will take the rest of the remaining hadith in this chapter of Adhan al-Ikhama in the coming lecture. Bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, subhanallah, subhanakallahuma wa bihamdika, ashadu an la ilaha ila anta, astaghfiruka, wa atubu ilayk. If there are any questions or comments, uh, we may take them now before the Adhan. I think we have five or six minutes or so. Inshallah. Naam. If? I'm not going to be able to get a good one. I'm going to be able to get a good one.
If someone entered the masjid while the adhan is being called, should they wait before sitting? While the adhan is being called? If anyone enters the masjid, they should not sit until they pray two rakah. As we mentioned previously, the hadith of the Prophet where he said, if anyone enters the masjid, do not sit until he prays two rakah. And in other narration he said, if anyone enters the masjid, then he must pray two rakah before sitting. So if the adhan is being called, the person should listen to the adhan and repeat the words of the adhan first, as we will take inshallah in one of the coming hadith, that when, the, when anyone hears the muadzin, they should repeat the words of the muadzin, or, or say the same words that he is saying. And after, they should supplicate with the supplications that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned. And after, they should pray two rakah before sitting. Yani, it's not uh, a good practice. It is contrary to the sunnah that a person should enter the masjid and sit before praying two rakah. And also, it is contrary to the sunnah that a person should pray while the adhan is being called. Yani, if the adhan is being called when you enter the masjid, it is preferable to listen to the adhan and to repeat the words of the muadzin. And then, then you should pray to Rakam before sitting. So, yani, if someone sat, uh, according to those scholars who said that it's not permissible to sit from the yani, apparent wording of the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, it is uh, not permissible to sit until praying to Rakam. So the person should not sit until to praying two rakah, and also you should not pray two rakah until you listen to the adhan. The Prophet ﷺ said, if anyone hears the mu'adhan, then he should repeat the words of the mu'adhan. Is it clear? Any other comment or question? Clarification. Now. It's almost time for the event. <laughs> the witter prayer should be performed in the night. It is preferable that it should be performed in the end of the night. It should be the last prayer that one prays at the end of the night. If anyone is going to sleep after Isha and they usually wake up before Fajr, it's better to delay the witr prayer until they wake up in the night and pray tahajjud, two rakah, four rakah, six rakah, eight rakah, whatever they pray, and then pray witr after that. But if you don't normally wake up before Fajr, then it's preferable to pray the witr prayer before sleeping. This is the preferable thing. If it should happen though, that you expect to wake up, but somehow you overslept, and when you woke up, the adhan for Fajr has already been called, then the witr prayer shouldn't be performed in the daytime. With the prayer should be performed in the nighttime. But what someone may do in the daytime, they might perform uh, an even number of rakah, even number. That they of the number of rakah that they normally used to perform in the night, but without witter, not with witter, not with witter, because witter is for the night to make the number of rakah that one prays odd in the night. But the prayers in the day should be even. So you should not pray witter in the morning after the dawn. It is not proper to pray it at that time. There are some scholars who said that the witr is obligatory and some said that it is sunnah mu'akkada the Prophet ﷺ didn't used to abandon it, he used to pray it but in the night, not in the day. There's no record of the Prophet ﷺ performing the witr in the daytime. Once the dawn has broke, it is day, it is no longer day. If it is before the time of dawn, then it's permissible to pray it quickly before the adhan. Please explain the point about the, old, the oldest should lead the prayer also authentic and more authentic. More authentic. <laughs> I think I said uh, these hadith are more authentic. 
I, I use this expression, probably they are referring to this. In any case, quickly before the next class starts becoming the Arabic class, uh, the point about the oldest should lead the prayer. The Prophet said in this hadith that ummukum uh, akbarukum. Akbarukum means the oldest of you. The one who should lead you in prayer is the oldest. But there are other hadith which indicate that there are other rulings or there are other preferences or standards for the one who should lead the prayer. And the most common and uh, preferable of them is the person who knows the Quran best should lead the prayer. And in some narrations, the one who knows, if they are both equal in Quran, then the one who knows Sunnah best. And if they are equal in that, the one who became a Muslim first, who joined Islam first. And if they are equal in that, the one who made Hijrah, migration from Mecca to Medina first, and so on. These are some, these are some of the conditions that are mentioned uh, in the Sunnah. Um, and one of those conditions is, as mentioned in this hadith, the oldest of you. Those people who the Prophet ﷺ said this to were all equal. They had come to Islam together, and they sat with the Prophet ﷺ about 20 days together. Uh, so perhaps they were all equal in their knowledge of Islam and coming to Islam. So the Prophet ﷺ gave as the criterion, the one who should lead the prayer is the oldest of them. And this is one of the criterion for leading prayer. But the most correct criterion and the best criterion for leading the prayer is the one who knows the Qur'an best. As long as that person yeah, is a religious person, not known to be a corrupt person or immoral person or something like this. I hope this answers the question about the oldest of you should lead the prayer. And as for something being more authentic now, there is such a thing as Sahih and Asahu. The scholars of Hadith clarified the meaning of Sahih, a Hadith that meets five conditions, which we don't have time to mention tonight. Five conditions. Uh, if a Hadith meets those conditions, it is considered to be Sahih. And there is also Asahu, which means that there are some Hadith which meet those conditions, but they are more authentic, meaning that the narrators of those Hadith had better memories, and that they were more reliable narrators, or that the chains of narration were more in number, and so on. So that it is possible that a hadith might be sahih and another hadith might be more sahih, yani more authentic, it is stronger. That means that this hadith is authentic, we believe that it is really an expression from the Prophet ﷺ, but this hadith is more certain to us, we are more sure about it. It is much, much stronger than the other one, though both of them may be considered to be authentic. Um, really, I don't know if we have time, it looks like a lot of questions here now. Allah <laughs> uh, Okay, rather than rushing, maybe we can save this for next time. I don't know. Has the alarm been called already? It was called already? Fine. Since we didn't hear it, then uh, let's quickly take these questions regarding congregational prayer. Can the woman do Jumu'ah prayer or Jumu'ah prayer within themselves, not even the male? Yeah, I mean, not with the male. Okay, I think it means Jumu'ah prayer, congregational prayer. And if women are together, can they pray in congregation? Yes. yes. If, if there is no male there, they may pray in congregation, as, well, as was the case of Aisha radiallahu anha, and other women in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa But what is authentically reported uh, is that she used to stand in the middle of the line, that no one, that the woman does not stand in the front of the line as men do. They may pray in congregation, there is no harm in it, it's permissible. Uh, the one leading the prayer, can she raise her voice good enough that, or, that the Jama'ah can hear her? It's permissible for her to raise her voice so that the people who are behind her can hear her. Yes, they should hear her reciting the Qur'an as long as they are not in a place where men may hear her voice. Because the woman's voice should not be normally heard by men except for need or necessity. And in that case, her voice, she should be careful how she speaks and not speak in the feminine tone. That might be tempting uh, or seductive for men who hear her. Uh, can they do as then if there are no male present? Yani, Husn is far away and isolated in a remote area. Yani, if the house is far away and isolated in a remote area, can the woman call Adhan and Iqama? I didn't know that the woman can call Adhan and Iqama, and I don't know that there's any proof that the woman can call Adhan or Iqama. I didn't know of any proof. Uh, perhaps if there's a chance, we may look into the issue and try to find something. But as far as I know, there's, I don't remember in, this, in reading this issue uh, previously, but I haven't read it recently. I don't recall that there's any proof for Adhan or Iqama, except there's a hadith that Aisha radiallahu anha used to have uh, someone, a man, called the Adhan for them. There, there seems to be some narration, as I recall, it was mentioned by 
Al-Hafiz Ibn Hajj Al-Asqalani, I would try to check and see if I can find it, but she used to have a man call the Adhan for them. But not that the women call the Adhan. And I don't think there's any proof that the women uh, should call the Adhan. And I'm not saying that it's not permissible, but I don't think that there's any proof that suggests that they should do it, or that it was done in the time of the Prophet wasallam. In any case, the purpose of the Adhan is to call to the people out loud to come, that the time for the prayer has come. If the women are in a place together, there's no need for them to call the Adhan. And the purpose of the Iqamah is to announce to the people that the congregation is going to be performed. If they are in, in their home alone, then perhaps there is no harm in such. They will not raise their voice with the Iqamah. And Allah knows best. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashadu an la ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa tubarik.